Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Bridging Impact Podcast, the podcast that bridges wisdom from generation to generation. And I'm your host, Justin Furtado. In today's episode, we interview Lee Taft, sports performance coach and the speed guy. And in our conversation today, we talk less about sports performance and more about why and how we need to reshape the model of youth sports, specifically youth basketball, to a point where we're focusing more on the holistic development of kids again and how to keep it fun. So without further ado, let's dive in. Hello, Lee, and welcome to the Bridging Impact Podcast. I'm thrilled to have our conversation today around the importance of rethinking about how we approach youth sports and have adults gotten their egos too involved. So more to come there. We always start our conversations with uh, the question of what is your definition of impactful leadership? It's a bit of a loaded question. And how does it show up for you every single day? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you, Justin, for having me. I'm excited that you're taking this angle and you're sharing uh, impactful information with people. So uh, I I appreciate that. Um, Yeah, so I think, you know, impactful leadership or impactful coaching, I, I think, you know, having been involved with coaching for over three decades, you know, you kind of figure stuff out a little bit here and there and you make your adjustments. But I think that probably the best definition I can have is, are you allowing those you're, you're instructing, you're teaching, uh, whether it's youth or high school or collegiate or professional or, or in the workforce, are you setting them up for success? I think often what happens is coaches who get the title of coach or a leader or a CEO, they fall in love with that title and the power that comes with it. And they want to make sure that their role is highlighted, but really good leaders and good coaches are very happy to be in the background and make sure that those they're teaching are, are set up to be successful and success can be a a definition of itself. But, but yeah, that's what I would say impactful coaching is. Yeah, no, I definitely, that makes a lot of sense to me as I'm kind of learning, I've been kind of promoted to new leadership roles and I'm realizing I don't need, I don't, I shouldn't be the one taking the spotlight, right? I need to be the one like helping the kids be in the spotlight and, and, you know, fixing, not necessarily, or focusing on improving their skill levels. So with that, like you talked about being in uh, coaching for three decades, I'd love for you to kind of share a little bit, you know, of your story about how, you know, you got into coaching, you know, what have you, obviously there's probably so much you've learned in the past three decades, but you know, the floor is yours on your coaching journey. Yeah, no, thank you. So I, I was very fortunate. I grew up, I'm the youngest of six, three boys, three girls, and I grew up in a coaching family. My dad uh, was involved with education, uh, from physical education to coaching, to administration, athletic directors for 44 years. Um, so I grew up around that. My brothers and sisters were in education. Um, and, and so, you know, I started my career out as a physical education teacher and a coach. Okay. I coached three sports, nice. taught phys ed. Um, I was kind of always like the de facto strength coach, even way back in the later 80s at the first school I was at. Nobody was really doing that kind of stuff, but I was into it. I really enjoyed it. So right. we kind of did stuff like that. So over the years, I just went into sports performance as well. And uh, always coached along the way, coached many sports, basketball, football, track, tennis, soccer, you name it. I've been involved with coaching. 
but uh, but I was also in the strength and conditioning field and, and have owned five what, what I call speed academies over the years. So so I've kind of been on both ends of it, the performance side as well as the coaching side. Awesome. Yeah, so you, you kind of have been able to like marry this, like kind of the training side, the one-on-one -on -one individual development and also the, the team development, right? Because we, you know, basketball is a team sport or, you know, yeah. talk about football and some of these other sports, right? We develop ourselves so we can contribute more to the teams that we are on. And yes. I would love to kind of go into the topic of, you, you talked about something that's really important. Are, are you setting up your players or your team for success? I'd love for you to dive a little bit more into that and how you approach, you know, developing each player for success, especially as a, as a team coach, uh, when you have a team, you got to worry about the whole team. But I was actually listening to a podcast the other day um, that talked about Charles Huff. He's a co head coach now at Marshall football. And he's mm -hmm. talking about one of the best ways to get, you know, people to buy into team is to help them reach their highest potential and get them to, you know, move on to the next level. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, there's a few ways to do it. Number one, you have to look at if we're going to talk about a specific, a specific sport, like let's say basketball. Yeah. If we're going to look at the sport and we look at the skill sets involved in the sport, we have to at some point raise the level of skill execution in the sport of each individual player. Because if they're unable to perform the requisite skills, the, the baseline skills, it's really tough to be successful from the standpoint of performing well in the sport. That doesn't mean they can't have a great attitude, can't, doesn't mean they, they don't hustle well, and that those are very successful uh, traits. But at some point, you want to have the ability to play the sport better as an individual and as a team. So we have a skill development model. If we can improve the skill of each individual player, now they have a chance to do more in the sport. Secondly, we want to make sure we develop the tactical understanding. So what does that mean? That means, does a player actually understand how the game is played? Can they read a situation? In other words, read a defender, read where maybe their teammates are, and what's about to happen and make a successful play out of that situation. The more they understand that, the more they're, able, they're capable of making successful plays, okay? So the opportunity to score, maybe defend better, or hit an open teammate gets better. And then the third thing we want to do that, that goes across the board with any athletic venture is improve athleticism. So if the athlete has the ability to move better, be better coordinated, maybe jump higher if they play a sport like volleyball where it's really important or basketball or just have, you know, really good lateral movement. Now you've set the athlete up for the chance to be successful in that sport, okay, because you've given them the opportunity. Now, the other part to that is making sure that um, the athletes themselves understand the mission of the game okay because there are models now in youth sport that are very individual based okay it's like go get your numbers go do your thing because colleges want to see you yeah that's a different model that's not a model i like or i suppose i understand why certain players may want to do that but for 99 percent of the players 
not a great model. So we want to be able to teach these players running a specific type of offense or defense or system or or uh, concept of how to play can actually raise the level of play of everybody involved. So that's just kind of a, a quick look into how we can, you know, set our teams up and our athletes up for success. Yeah, 100%. So it's improving those individual skills that are sport specific. It's improving the athleticism and the tactical understanding of what is the purpose of the sport. Like if it's basketball, right? You yeah. want to score more baskets than the other team, right? And if I'm taking a bunch of bad shots because I want to boost my stats, right? I'm not helping my team win. So exactly. that to me, those are all a lot of fundamentals, kind of what we were talking a little bit before we jumped on. And I know you've been talking a lot on Twitter, and this has been something that's very been very fascinating to me because, you know, I'm a 5'10 average speed white dude who's, you know, not, not never been the quickest. So I work day and night on my fundamentals. And the only reason I'm, I'm competitive now playing pickup is because I have my fundamentals are highly skilled, but I feel like a lot of people, and I know you feel this way too, are skipping that fundamental stage and they just yeah. want to be Kyrie Irving. So I'd yeah. love for you to kind of share a little bit more on your thoughts on, on where the game of where the whole of fundamentals is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, and it's hard to argue with why it's happening the way it is because we are society of immediate gratification, right? So if I can do, if I can do a trick shot and get a lot of oohs and ahs from the crowd and high fives from my teammates, well, why wouldn't I crave that more? That's just, that's, that's dope. That's a dopamine response. Okay. That's a hormonal response that makes us feel really good. And we crave that response. The problem is oftentimes the those in charge so the coaches and we don't see it as much with the the school the high school or the middle school coaches as we do with the travel sport coaches because many of them are in it for a different reason but when we when we start to set standards this is how the game should be played fine if you have to make a round the back pass to a teammate and that was your best option go for it that's great you should have that ability to do that but if you can make a really clean, fundamental play, just simple play that your teammate benefits and scores, that should be the option first. And that's, that's what I mean by setting standards and expectations as to how we play. So what happens is we've become inundated with you know, social media, YouTube, fun posts that get a lot of likes and we see ESPN ESPN doesn't highlight the fundamental bounce pass to the open cutter. It highlights the hook lob pass to, you know, John Morant dunking it with one hand behind his head, right? That's what they highlight. So kids see that. I have a 14-year-old son, and he watches that stuff. He sees it. And he goes, oh, my gosh, did you see that? I'm like, yeah, I did. But did you see how Chris Paul simply dribbled into open space and hit a 15-foot jumper? He goes, yeah, but what's, right. you know, what, what's the point what yeah. is that? I'm like, yeah, yeah. He just, he, he scored 19 points in the fourth quarter. That's how fun it is right there. That's, yeah. So we have this idea of uh, this, this kind of this combative uh, uh, idea of this is fun over here and this is exciting and it gets a lot of likes versus this is kind of boring and all, but yet it, the play was done properly. It was successful. So you got this kind of yin and yang pushed back and forth. I think the kids ultimately know bottom line is to make a good play. 
but it's a lot more fun to make the highlight reel, right? Then that's what they want to do. So that's what we're struggling with right now. And here's the tough part, Justin. As a coach, okay, someone who started coaching back in the 80s, I could demand certain things of my teams and my players, and it was accepted right. because parents grew up at a time when that's the way it was. That's the way we played. We did things a certain way. Right. Today, the parents of those kids grew up in an environment where it was very highlight-oriented and all. So you've got to be careful not to take away their love and their joy of how to play. You've got to be very good at giving them what they want but still give them what they need and get them to buy into the team success is actually going to be more important in most situations on a team sport. So it's just, it's just a, it's kind of a battle we have to deal with the right way. Right. It's, it's a dance that we're having. And I think kind of what I'm hearing is like, you're, you're fighting social media, like all, all the athletes now, you know, I think about all the middle school, even the elementary kids are probably yeah. on TikTok or YouTube or, or of some sort. And are seeing John Morant is, insane they see Kyrie's handles you know xyz yep. they, they see all these other people that probably aren't even in the nba that have you know a, amazing handles or, or whatever it may be and there's nothing wrong with having great handles or being able to make that great play it's right. just like are we making the simple plays and one of the things that i'm kind of thinking of and, and trying to implement is like celebrating them when they make that that yeah. you know boring play like yes there's a bounce pass to the paint with two hands you know like if that was a simple play you know and it's just kind of like praising the things that we want to see and yeah. i'm curious you know you're kind of talking about a little bit of we're kind of shifting gears towards just the youth basketball system of, of travel basketball and i'd love to kind of expand a little bit on how travel basketball is not helping kids develop those simple skills yeah yeah it's uh I think the hardest thing right now is to get people to understand it truly is broken. The model is broken. Now, this is the tough part. Certain families, certain kids, certain parents, and certain organizations are doing it the right way. Like, like they are. They're not, they're not spending a lot of money. They're not traveling too far. And they're not doing like eight months of it you know they're doing just you know four or five tournaments in and out go play another sport so when i'm talking about this everybody thinks i'm saying everybody's bad i'm like no there are people that are doing it right but that's not the issue we all have to admit the youth sporting industry is a broken model right now there is no way sports that i grew up playing as a kid in the 70s for completely free are now costing seven to eight to ten, eleven thousand dollars for a season for kids to play the same thing, but they're getting less playing time because if you're a lot of those coaches want to win, and if you're average to below average, your playing time is going to be very limited. But you're still paying the same. You're traveling the same. You're you're going through the, you know, all the stresses of of a long season, a, a post season. This is not even right. your regular school season. This is afterwards. So that model's broken. And the reason it's broken, Justin, is because there are other models that are better, that serve youth sports better, that they serve skill development and, and uh, exposure to proper playing better in environments that are conducive to coaches being able to help the kids understand the game. I have models that I personally have used for years as a head coach. We call them a scrimmage model. 
in a league model. And then we put we implement those three things I talked about before that, you know, the, the skill development, the tactical and the athletic. But what I would do to help this youth model, and this is how we did it in all my programs, is I implemented a scrimmage model. So let's say you're a local high school coach in our in our district, in our area. I'd call you up and say, Justin, why don't you bring your kids over Saturday morning? I'm going to get a couple other teams. They're going to come too. Just bring your practice jerseys. We'll no officials, no cost, but we're going to play. We're going to get up. We're going to play. We're going to compete. We're going to do situations and out-of-bounds situations, and you get to stop your team and reset them and organize them so they all learn, but we're going to compete. Parents can come and watch as long as they're quiet. So that model of which I ran for all my teams, all my programs, was fantastic. Kids loved it because they got to play. Parents loved it because there was no dollars involved. And there was zero travel, really, just whatever, you know, maybe coming across town. And and what happened was the kids got better. They were less fearful of making mistakes because the scrimmage mm-hmm. model was set up. And then we did the same kind of like with a league, a league model, have multiple teams and just designate different schools you're going to play at. You go and play a couple, maybe one to two games a night, uh, quicker games, not these long games. And that's it. Then you do it again the next night or whatever right. other night you schedule. Very easy to get kids to play. Great competition. And then when you have the top 1% kids like the LeBrons and the Kobe's and the Kyrie's, right. those kids, sure, go get, let them go get on a, a high-level elite team that wants to be seen by Coach K and, you know, the, all the top teams. That's different. That's not, that's not realistic for most of us, right? That's, that's a different model. So I think we have to look at the youth model as broken. We have to bring it back to communities and families and kids, and we got to take the big amount of stress out of it and let the game evolve and develop. And I promise kids will get better and still have the goal of being a scholarship level player if that's what they want. But let the kids decide that. Right now the parents decide and the adults decide everything in youth sports. Kids are just along for the ride. It should be the other way around. We should be along for the ride and let the kids dictate what happens. Right. And honestly, I feel like sometimes as a kid, you don't even know any better, too. Like if you're like, oh, my my buddy's on an AAU team. We're going doing this and that. And they're kind of skipping steps, right? Yeah. Let's talk about that immediate gratification, kind of going back to what you were talking about earlier. It's I want to be a scholarship you know, scholarship kid, but I don't yeah. even, I can't even do a left-hand layup is one of the, there you you know, go. the tweets I saw. And, and it's like, yeah, go. Let me share something really fast. Cause yeah. you just, so I, my son who's 14 plays on his middle school team and that middle school team will enter local tournaments. So it's, it's not very much. They don't do a lot. It's just kind of, kind of local. Well, I was watching their team play another team and I was just watching the warmups. I pay attention to a lot of things that go on. One kid in the entire group teams, two teams warming up, could make a left-hand layup the proper way. They struggled dribbling in with their left hand, and they struggled to actually shoot the layup the right way. And, and, and I'm not saying this just to, you know, to promote my son, but the reason my son was the one that could do it both ways is because he had a growth plate issue with his foot and missed about nine weeks of of organized sports and so what we did is he just worked on his skills we literally went out to our basket right outside here in my garage that we everybody has a you know a hoop right. in their driveway and he worked on left hand shots underhand shots little you know left-handed 
And he got so comfortable with it because he couldn't do anything else that he now just, it's, it's secondhand nature to him to grow in and make a left-hand layup. And my point to that is not because it's my son, it could have been anybody else. That's how important skill development is. All his teammates just played all the time. They played, played, which is great, but none of them actually said, you know what, I'm going to get better at the various skill sets that basketball demands. He had no choice to because he had nine weeks of inactivity of, of playing competitively. He could do enough stuff to move a little bit, but couldn't go real hard. But his skills raised well beyond everybody on his team. He wasn't the best player on his team, but his skill level passed all of them just because he put time into skill development. So that's an important message to parents. Yeah, that is a really important message. And actually, you know, I work at a uh, company called Royal Basketball. We just focus on the fundamentals, 4 to 14, yeah. and we have classes every week. And so really what you've been hitting on is, is so important. But let's let's kind of go back to the model. And, like, I yeah. want to resh- reshape, rethinking. And how do we, you know, I think, obviously you're talking about bringing, bringing basketball back to communities, right? And I know, like, I remember I would just – play basketball after school, you know, when it was off season, just with my buddies. And sometimes it's an eight foot hoop, you know, you're dunking yeah. and, and, oh, and not doing anything, anything <laughs> productive. But yeah. I think another thing that another problem that this model is, is doing and, and what we've probably talked about is burnout and that yeah. it's just becoming a job for kids at such a young age. Yeah. Yeah. So the, 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 Worst thing that I have witnessed with youth sports in general, and I see it in all youth sports, not just basketball, but right. is when the kids no longer have that that butterfly in their stomach and that excitement about starting the season again. Because mm-hmm. it doesn't end that much for them. They, they rarely get out of it. And because they're playing 50 to 80, some I've seen 90, 92 games in the off season, it doesn't have any representation of of the the, the the competitive juices to play the score because they're like, well, if we lose this one, we got four more games this weekend. Or I one one guy dad reached out to me and said, yeah, my daughter just played seven games between Saturday and Sunday, and it took her like a week to recover. I'm like, that's just unhealthy. There's nothing good about that, especially in that type of environment. So what we're seeing is these these. Uh, the, the current model of AAU or other organizations similar to AAU that have these travel teams, the kids really aren't getting uh, the development they need. They're playing in a system often in AAU that is unlike what their their school system will be, where there's there's a process of how to break a press, a proper way to press. Right now, kids are just reaching and going for steals, and if they get it, yeah. good. If not... The other team gets a layup, and then you do it again all game long. And I watched a game not that long ago. It was just literally baseball pass after baseball pass. Didn't represent the game of basketball well at all. No. And it was it was a, a uh, elementary age group team. And I'm th- thinking that is just an awful representation of what youth sports has become. It just was terrible. I, I couldn't even watch the rest of it. So we have to be able to understand these kids are burning out not only – physically but emotionally they're becoming just stale they're like yeah yeah we got another game this weekend that's this will be our 10th weekend in a row traveling they're numb to it it doesn't have value anymore because that's all they do when you were talking about going with your friends and dunking on an eight foot hoop 
there's still something fun about that though. It's kind of like, right. it's just an organic, uh, human nature enjoyment of doing fun right. stuff. You're not seeing that as much anymore. It just, because mm -hmm. it's just becoming this almost rote type, uh, program where you just show up, coach is going to tell you what to do. There's a starting five. If you make a mistake, you're going to get subbed out and there's really no organic play involved. And that's, that's what bothers me. And that's why we're seeing burnout. And the, the numbers are anywhere between 70, 75. I've heard 80%. That's a little high, I think, but using that 70 range, if, by the time kids reach uh, middle school, eighth grade, they're, they're, they're dropping out because they've yeah. done so much from a young age. Now they're starting to hit that emotional development stage, puberty, and, and things are changing in their minds and how they feel, how they feel about their friends, their peers, or potential boyfriend, girlfriends, or partners. And next thing you know, the interest isn't there anymore because AAU is dominating their time. It's dominating their weekends. They don't get time with grandparents anymore. They're missing family events. And that's why I keep going back, Justin, to the model is broken. This is what this is not what the youth sporting experiences was meant to be. No, it's not. It's not at all. And I think that's one of the things is, you know, I've been commenting on a few of your things and I love sports, but I played baseball and basketball. So I had I had yeah. basketball season, then I had baseball season, and then I had summer baseball, and I had like the fall off, right, to train for basketball. Then I was juiced for basketball season. Yeah. So you know, it's like I I was I wasn't doing basketball or baseball all year round, and you know, a lot of my friends that ended up playing college athletics, or even my girlfriend, uh, they get burned out from just their sport, and yeah. we're treating youth sports like it's college athletics already and it's yeah. kind of amazing taking away that joy and fun and you know you also touched on a little bit too like parents are paying you know five to ten thousand dollars a year between yeah. private coaches travel you know it's it's insane it's insane yeah. to me so like bringing back those local leagues i think are, are really important yeah yeah so family finances are actually being reallocated. They're being adjusted for youth wow. sports, for their childhood play wow. sports. So families that have 401ks or mortgages or whatever, they're, 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 they're working with their accountant if they have an accountant or just themselves and they're changing their, their financial structure so that their kid who's in elementary school can be on this elite team. And I'm thinking, Everything about that's wrong. There's just nothing right. about that that is right when, when it doesn't have to be. So that's why I keep saying we have to look at what's the goal. Okay, first of all, the goal is to let the child choose. Let them um, sample, okay? Like you played two sports. I was fortunate enough at my time, and it wasn't uncommon. I played four sports. I played football, then I went to basketball, and then I, my main sport in the spring was tennis. But then, then as I got in halfway through high school, I joined the track team because I was, I was fast. And, but the way we managed that is I, my primary sport was tennis and I practiced that. I would just make sure I knew what to do in track. Like I knew how to hurdle. I knew how to come up. It wasn't overly stressful. And the coach said, no, yeah, go to tennis. You know, that's your sport. But just help us. Yeah. So I was on relay teams. So right. I was able to do that. Now we're just, we're not seeing any of that. We're just not. We're not seeing sampling. We're not seeing kids uh, being allowed to play other sports. And the problem is, and this is where misinformation comes. We know if someone young does one thing all the time, of course they're going to get better at it. Okay. Right. But there's a drawback to that because 
their mental and emotional and physical development is going to be very, very selective. And it doesn't have much variant to it or variation. Mm -hmm. And that's not a healthy thing as we go through adulthood. We need to have the stimulus of multi-directional movement, multi-planar movement, multi-sport, different coaches, different input from different coaches, coaching styles, and different teammates. That's a really important thing to develop as you grow up as a young adult because you have those different experiences you can pull from them. They shape you differently. And then as you get into high school, later in high school, a lot of people say, well, that's when you start to specialize. I disagree. You specialize if that's absolutely what you want. But don't specialize because someone told you you should. Again, I I graduated my senior year playing four sports, and I played two sports in college. And I could have played probably the other two at college at, at a lower level because I had exposure to it. I was able to play those sports at a high enough level. For kids to miss that opportunity, it's a shame because we know very few of those kids are going to get a scholarship. And if they do, yes. it's, going to be, it's going to be partial. They're going to still pay right. a lot of money. And then of those, probably zero are going to play in the pros. Now, maybe there might be a few. Like I played Division three basketball. I had some of the guys I played against played in Europe. Like they went over and played in Ireland and different – different places and they made a little, you know, $25,000 or whatever. And they had a good experience. And if that's what you want to do, great. But at the end of the day, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to play that long. You, you have to be realistic that very few people and the guys that made it in division three were the top of the division three. Those are the best that probably could have played small division one. They're just, you know, it just is uh, ridiculous to think that, a six-year-old, a sixth-grader, uh, sixth-grader is going to be groomed to be a professional athlete if they're like you and I. I'm five ten as well. If they're like yeah. five two, you know, eighty-eight pounds, yeah. and you're sitting there, like, give the kid a chance to develop and let them decide if they want to do it. It just it drives me nuts, but that's <laughs> that's why we have these. I appreciate you yeah. being able to share this information to the to the public. Yeah, no, of course. And I, I think, honestly, you bring up a good point. It's like giving back that power and decision-making to the youth and letting them letting it them drive those decisions. Because, you know, yeah. I, I do want to shift gears a little bit towards what coaches can do. But, like, lastly, like, I, I remember I've only been to one. I went to one AAU game a month ago with my dad, and it was, like, $15 for parking, $20 for each of us to get a ticket. And like, it was an hour drive for us and gas. Pr- I'm in LA. So gas prices are insane. Yeah. It's probably over a hundred dollars for us to attend one game where I wanted to go support a coach that I had on this podcast. And it was, yep. you know, his team was definitely a little better coach, but like in general, it's kind of that like baseball pass, baseball pass, fast break, yeah. fast break. I'm like, they're not learning half court defense, half court offense. I didn't see a single screen. So it's just that they're, yeah getting that taken away from them. But as we kind of go forward, you know, for, for young coaches and, and probably all coaches in general, how, how, what are ways that we can kind of give that love back to youth and how can we encourage them really to, to develop holistically, which is almost what I'm hearing you, you talk about. Yeah. Yeah. So what I would do every year, I, I've taken over a new program. I would have a parents meeting. I would get my coaching staff and anyone in the program K through 12. So, uh, you know, dads or moms that volunteered their time to help the young kids with stuff. So what I would do is I, this is what I really feel we have to do to get it back to the kids, the families in the community is I would have the meeting 
And I would start talking about AAU and I would say, listen, for some of you, it might be a great opportunity at some point. But at a young age, when you can't make a layup, you can't pass really well, why are you spending that kind of money and time and energy in something that you can get for free right here and you can actually get better faster? And then I explained to them the research that I personally did and I got it from USA Hockey and what they did. So I took it into the basketball world is I followed a young player one time. It was, a, it was like a seventh grade player who played in a weekend tournament, but I did this several times. But what I did is I just followed that player and I had my watch, my literally my stopwatch. Every time she touched the ball, I put my watch on. When she passed it, I turned it off. And I calculated throughout a game. Her average amount of time of touching a basketball in an AAU game was 42 to 47 seconds per game. Okay, so I, so I explained this to the parents and I said, they can come in with me in our open gym for one hour and touch the ball for one hour and get better the whole hour. And I, I devised these little small-sided games and three-on-three and we did some fun activities. And then I would call and do my scrimmages with other schools. They'd come in so they got the chance to play. And then I would say, hey, look, if you want, there's a local travel team tournament, you know, 10 minutes up the road from us. We lived in Indiana at the time, so it was everywhere. Okay. I said, right. okay, if you guys want to go, I'll put a team together. We can go play. It's going to cost each parent 20 bucks so we can get in and play. Right. We might do something like that. But otherwise, I just did this scrimmage model. And I would just call even other AAU teams. Hey, bring your team over here if you guys want to get some practice before you next time. Scrimmage us. So we did it for free. We didn't use right. officials. We put the onus on the kids to call fouls, call out of bounds, and just, you know, get the arguments over with real quick. So they learned how to manage the game. So that model really worked. It, it developed competitive play, but we worked on skill and tactical learning and um, uh, athleticism. And then, Justin, here's the other thing. And this is, this is the model. I'm actually working on a manual right now that, I can, that people will be able to get access to. So one of the ways to run uh, these scrimmages or a league, if you want to do the league model, is so if you brought your team and I'm playing you, you get the ball for 10 possessions in a row, just like the football scrimmage model. You get 10, half court, you run your whatever you want to run. I have to defend 10 times in a row, and then we'll flip-flop. Your coach, so let's say you're the coach of your team, you get to stop the play and say, hey, guys, come on, set it up right. If you're going to cut, cut hard, this is how we do that. So it's a learning environment, but they're competing against a, a totally different team, us. Right. right. And then I get the ball, and then we scrimmage full court. We might go like 10 straight minutes full court, and then we'll stop it. And then what we'll do is we'll do a different situation. So like maybe sideline out of bounds. You get it five times, I get it five. Who does best in that? And then what I would do is we would run – a two-minute and a 30-second tournament at the end. And I would say, Justin, your team's ball, two minutes, you're up by six, ready, go. And we'd play. We'd yeah. have to see if we could come back and use that. And then we would do it for 30 seconds. Our ball, out of bounds, three-quarter court, we're up by one, you're down, but we have the ball 30 seconds. What are you going to do? You get a chance to huddle real quick, teach your team. I'm telling you. That is how the game gets brought back to the youth, to you as a coach, and to the families because now the kids are learning. 
They're being showed real life situations of how to play the game, the tactical, right. but they're getting to compete against somebody else rather than always playing themselves in practice. So that model works tremendously and the parents love it as well. Yeah, they, they begin to learn those different situations and, you know, it becomes fun for, for your team. If your team's down six, like, can we come back in two minutes, right? Like, yep. let's, let's do it together. And you're kind of giving, giving the ownership to the kids in regards to like, y'all are the refs, you can call fouls, you know, yeah. uh, you can call out of bounds. You're, you're old enough. Right. So I think, I think that's, that's a really good model. And then just re reshifting that. So that would definitely be important for me as a coach to start thinking about. And I know I went through some of your blog as well, and you're talking about kind of bringing here and here. Um, can you talk about for young coaches, uh, the importance of building relationships, you know, with yeah. who, who are the important players? Of course, it's like, you know, everyone, of course, you want to be a kind yeah. person and, and have those relationships. But, you know, it seems to me as a coach, it's really important to have, you know, key relationships within, you know, the athletic circle. Yeah, definitely. So first and foremost, you want to make sure your players know you're the biggest fan, okay? I'm your coach. It's my job to hold you accountable. You're going to have, you're going to have standards, and whether you call them rules or standards, and they're going to be held accountable to those, and, and that's important. You want to address the parents. I always have parents' meetings, and if a parent, for whatever reason, can't make it, we have to have a phone call because I'm not going to let their child be involved in the sport and the parents not understand the expectation. So we have a meeting and we talk, we start talking about the development of the program. Okay, this is what the development is. And this is how I need you as a parent to help me. I need you to help me with, if we do fundraisers like a camp, or if we do something, maybe we want to get shirts and get businesses logo on it. And each business pays a hundred bucks and they get, you know, so maybe we want to raise a thousand dollars for the program to get new equipment or whatever. And the parents can help me with that. And I'm really, really clear with the parents and doesn't always, you know, work out that way. But for the most part, it helps is you have to be a supporter of the program, not an implement in the way. So when they start coaching loudly from the sideline and telling their daughter or their son what to do, now there's a conflict. Their son or daughter doesn't want to disobey a parent, but yet they're playing for me at that time, and I'm going to win that battle every single time. I, I tell parents, if I think your child is shooting because you said so, but I didn't want that, they will sit next to me the rest of the game. And it's not their fault, but you're going to have to explain that to them. So let me be very clear. Do not tell them what to do during games. So young coaches... You have to make sure you draw a line in the sand and say, this program is for your child, but I've been in put, put in charge to make sure that the develop, it's developmentally sound. Uh, this is the way the program is going to be. I'm going to put an offense in that I feel works best. I'm not perfect, but it's not your responsibility to tell your child I'm a bad coach or they need yeah. to shoot more. It's to be a cheerleader and support the program. That's it. Now, if they have an issue with what's going on, I have no problem with them setting a meeting, 24-hour rule, come, you know, yep. come see me. And I always tell the players, if you're unhappy, please come see me. My door is always open. I'll never yell at you, but I'll be honest with you. I'll make sure you know this is why you're not playing as much or why I subbed you out you know, a couple games in a row. Right. These are the reasons why. So just be very transparent and have a plan for the growth of your, your program. And if you've got skill development models, 
tactical development models, and athletic development models. All the other stuff, the offense and defense, that'll take care of itself if you have players that have a skill set. Because I don't care what offense you run. If kids can't dribble, pass, shoot, doesn't matter. You can run anything you want. It's not going to work. So. No, that, that makes a lot of sense to me and, and definitely having those, those parent relationships. So I've worked in like boys and girls club settings, like outside yeah. of basketball and like those, those parent relationships are everything too, right? Like they have to, they have to help you hold that standard of the boys and girls club or, or whatever, you know, program or organization, because th- at the end of the day, their kids are going home to there to have dinner there. And if the parents aren't bought in, you know, they the kids are getting two conflicting messages. And so, That's right. and then they and- probably have their pr- yeah, and the other thing is, Justin, you can start to, as you get to know your parents, you'll find the ones that have an interest in helping your youth program. So when you get, right. like, let's say you want to do, I did a weekly clinic for about 40 minutes with my kindergarten, first, and second grade, and that was our primary okay, yeah. grade, just so they got exposure, we did fun activities. Well, I started to notice what parents are really good at understanding of development. I'd ask them to help me. Now, maybe the fourth, fifth, sixth grade is a little bit more competitive, a little bit more skill. Who has that ability? And I started to notice parents and just ask for help if they wanted to help be a part of that program. And then all the way up through to the high school level, if you, you know, if you don't have a, a qualified coach, sometimes you, 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 know, you have to have a parent that might be willing right. to do it, but you just have to define their role. Yeah, no, I think that's really important. And, and getting that you know, help. And, and having, I, I know at first, like my first year, I coached uh, rec basketball. I was myself. And then I brought in, at, in the new year, I brought in a couple of buddies because they, they hadn't coached before, but it was just so helpful having multiple people that are buying into the development of the skills. Um, before, uh, my last question before, the real last question is, how do you develop those, like, you know, skill, those mo- models? Because I'm actually in a process of trying to do that myself, you know. Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of trying to think, begin with the end in mind. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So just just always do a needs analysis or an assessment of your program. Right? You're, you're a basketball coach. This is the age level I work with. These are the things that we have to do well. Okay, so I, I'm just a big fan. The, the basketball court is pretty wide. Okay, right. we want to use both sides of it. If I have right. kids that can't dribble with their left hand, we only go to the right side of the floor, which shuts off anything you want to do. So when I'm building a model of skill development, we look at that. How can my kids be able to play on the right side and the left side, shoot from the right side and the left side, make a pass into the post to a cutting post player on the right and the left side. So our skill development model follows the things that we should be able to do really well. Okay, we should be able to pass either hand, dribble, shoot either hand, and pivot either way. So all of those things. And then we start putting in more like the full court model. Can we run a proper fast break, like a two-on-one? How do we run the lane and not get behind a defender so now my Mm -hmm. passer can't see me? So we actually break those down. And you can do that at a pretty young age, and there's fun, creative ways to do that. And so we just start looking at what do the kids have to do in all facets of the game, even defensively. Don't follow your player, know where the ball is, and then know where your player is, right? We don't want it because what do you do? You get kids who just actually glue themselves to their player and they follow no matter where they go. I'm like, no, you've got to know where the ball is. So you can develop those types of skills. And the same thing tactically. 
what does it mean to pass and cut? What, mm. Like, why would I do that? And you literally just tell the kids, why would I pass it? And why would I cut to that? What advantage do I get? Well, you can say, well, you might get open for a pass back and a shot, a give and go, like, or by you cutting, you open up that area of the floor for the ball handler to drive. We call those gaps or for somebody else to fill your spot. So there's three right. great reasons why cutting is important. Now they have context and now they understand why. So simplify it, keep it easy, give them context on, on, on all the models that you're developing and, th and then just start to put together. What do I need to do well? Well, let's practice those. Yeah, it's doing the needs assessment. And then yeah, if they don't have a left hand, working on the left hand and That's then kind right. of going from there. So yep. being able to look at the whole picture, you know, like maybe they could do a left hand layup, but they're dribbling with their right hand to get there. So yeah. you're kind of doing some of those things. Yeah, and let me let me show you tell you this. This is something for the coaches because coaches will say, Yeah, but you know, we got we have a small court, we got two baskets only and we got, you know, fifteen mm -hmm. kids. So like when I worked on left hand layups and stuff, most gyms have cinder block walls, right? So you got these cinder blocks all over the place. And so right. what I would say to the kids, I would say, look at those cinder blocks right there. You have to try to hit those with your left hand 10 times. So they're standing there like they're going to shoot a left-hand layup, but they're following through hitting that one cinder block, which would be representative of them hitting the square to make a layup right. on the backboard. So they get all 15 players all at the same time are working on their left hand. We're getting a lot of reps. Then we can go put them in at the basket. So there's ways to speed up the learning process and break the skills down so that you don't have kids standing in a long line, right. 15 kids. And this is the same with high school kids because people think, oh, they're high school kids. They should be. No, they can't. Kids, yeah. A lot of these high school kids cannot do equally with both hands. So that's a really good warm up for them. Say, hey, guys, you got to give me 20 touches on that one cinder block before you start doing your shooting routine or whatever it is. So we did that all the time with our kids. Yeah. It's kind of getting creative and making sure that they're engaged. I think that's a big thing that I'm trying to, I'm, I'm learning is sometimes we have big yep. groups, right? 13, 14 people. And if we do right. just the basic layup lines, right? If you, if you start timing them, right, they're not going to be really touching the ball that much. And then right. honestly, the, the more distractions, the more people there are, the more distractions, the slower they're going to go. And, you know, it's okay for them to have that social time. Right. But it's, yeah. you know, kind of being mindful of, of how many groups you have. So I think that makes That's a lot right. of sense. And then, you know, with my last question is like, what, what general advice would you leave the, the young coaches with and where can people find and engage with you? Yeah, thank you. Uh, first of all, I think it's really important to find coaches that are doing some really good stuff. So near you, if there's a high school coach in your system, that's that in your school, that's maybe coaching volleyball or baseball or football, but they're really good. They have a really good system. Learn from them. Ask if you can just kind of pick their brain or take them to lunch and, and learn what is it that they do? How do they run a practice plan or write a practice plan? Uh, what are the important elements that they look for? If you can go to clinics that aren't that expensive, you know, go to clinics or if there's a college around you that has been very successful, maybe maybe you can get some help from some of the assist. Sometimes it's tough to get to the head coaches but the assistants right. a lot of times will will share um and and i'm telling you this is another thing justin there is so much free information on youtube and on yeah. google if you just google how to run a basketball practice you'll get tons of stuff or how to run a 
you know, a particular offense or how to write a practice plan. There's stuff all over the place. And then it gives you ideas. And then it's just like anything else. It's practice. It's just doing it. So stick with it. And uh, if anybody wants to learn more about what it is that I'm doing, I'm pretty active on social media. So at Lee Taft, they can find me. Um, If they're interested in, uh, we've really been pushing a lot of education on how to coach basketball better. So um, if they go to basketballspeedspecialist.com, basketballspeedspecialist.com, they can learn of a program that we've created that's helping coaches understand uh, communication, how important words are. So if I have a specific type of footwork that I want, there's, there's language for that, and it really speeds up the learning process for the players. Beautiful. Well, I really enjoyed our conversation today, Lee, and I think Likewise. that's a lot of great information. And, you know, I know that the coaches uh, left feeling good, feeling like they learned a lot and, you know, great. engage with us. Let us know what your thoughts and we'll talk soon, Lee. Thank you. Thanks, Justin. Appreciate you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bridging Impact Podcast. We'd love it if you would like, subscribe, leave a comment and a review on whatever platform you're on. It's the best way to help us grow. We appreciate you for doing that. We'll shout you out on social media. I'd also love if you connected with me on social media. Let me know your thoughts. And this is why I do it. I want to share knowledge and wisdom from experienced leaders to people like yourself and myself so we can have this dialogue and move forward, make an impact on the world. So stay tuned, stay subscribed. Cheers.